everybody. It's Contextualize again with Jim and AJ. Jim? Morning. Morning. This is the nicest contextualized day in the last year. <laughs> That's because this week is just super nice. <laughs> yeah. It's gorgeous out. Totally. It's like a party in this church building, too, so we'll see how many interruptions we might have. I don't know. It, may have, it seems like it's died down, but earlier died down. there were just like all sorts of different people. You know, contractors and architects and deacons and staff. And college students. And college kids <laughs> moving their supplies for their ministry. Fun yeah. place to be. Yeah. Not lots, quite. What's going on? Yeah, it's good. this is going to be a fun chapter to talk about. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, for those who have been tracking with us, we are going to get into 2 Samuel 23, which means we've got two chapters left of this book, and then we've got to figure out what, what comes next. But uh, we've got time to figure that out. Yeah. Two weeks, I guess. So, um, But Sunday, this past Sunday, we had um, I think just an encouraging, exciting, good congregational meeting. Covered a lot of ground, but a lot of it was just was sharing information and updates. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, thoughts from I from think Sunday. it was enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, for one, I'm very thankful to see the congregation be there. Um, it was well attended, which is always an yeah. encouragement. Um, I've had some folks come to me afterwards and say, "Hey, you know, there's, there's, I'm excited," or "Hey, I got a question." But what what has hit me the most is I see people for whom much of what was shared on Sunday felt really new. Yeah. Right, so whether it was sharing the trends of our church's financial health and numerical growth, or sharing things like the sabbatical, these different things, obviously you your a committee being created to call you as an associate pastor. Some things might have been known, but some things were just rather new news. Mm-hmm. And I guess it just hit me that that when I've talked to people, they're like, hey, "Are you excited?" And in some regards, I'm, I'm realizing, well, we came into work on Monday. And let's start looking at the sermon text for the next yeah. week. And yeah. we just came out of a meeting with Shannon and Shelby talking uh-huh. about their roles and how, and we're just doing the same things right yeah. now. Um, yeah. We're asking for God to make us faithful in the roles He's given to us. Yeah. And so there's a yeah. balance right now of saying, hey, maybe maybe we're in the near future going to see God show us some steps we can take toward this 50 plus year vision, which is yeah. exciting to share. Right. But day to day, get out. Yeah. Go about the things we're called to do. Do pastoral counseling. Do whatever. So right. I'm, I guess it's like a sobered excitement. <laughs> the rhythms don't change. Yeah. 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 And it's, I think it is a very exciting um, vision. And even just to be, I mean, to use some of your words of thinking about generations and thinking about like what kind of a, a churchly inheritance are we leaving for not only our, our children, but our grandchildren, you know, thinking multiple decades down the way. And that, that, that's very exciting to think through that. Um, but today it's just, I mean, it's just a, yeah, like any other day. And so like there's the mundane um, or just the normalcy of the day by day. And uh, I guess one thought is that you don't get to some exciting vision somewhere way out there without just the normal day to day faithfulness yeah. faithfulness in a normal day to day and that's I mean that's for us here that's for moms at home kids at home kids at school people at the, in their jobs I mean it's just right just the day to day stuff the intimacy of a church that is experiencing blessing comes with the intimacy that that comes out of exposure to people's hard things and trials so it's not all fun yeah church life is hard because it's real it's relationships 
But we are experiencing, I would say the one thing I feel right now is it's, it's fun. Yeah. We keep walking up to the third floor and looking at like what would an office <laughs> space look like where the seven of us that work in the body, well, there's six yeah. of us plus um, uh, Deacon Joe. Uh, yeah. it, it's exciting to think that, gosh, we might become more efficient and more effective in the things we do once we kind of have some proximity things worked out. And then yeah. we will see Sunday use of this building, probably more efficient, less collisions as we have more space opened up. Um, yeah, so it's very exciting for me. The architect was here this morning just working more on the drawings for the elevator. These are really real blessings, and I praise God for where he's, you know, he's brought us. And so it is special. I'll say that the time is special. But, you know, when you think about the mission of proclaiming Christ and presenting others mature in him and just going about that, and a vision of saying in 50-plus years, could we be a very safe, beautiful, still-used larger facility out of which church plants are happening uh, or have been planted I think that's still just a very compelling thing it was nice to finally announce it and it's been nice to see it on paper even though I would say in a way it's been this latent undercurrent of us just saying what are we doing we're going to proclaim Christ present people to mature in him and if he's going to grow us toward that well the next thing we've done is we've said well now we've got to figure out what to do with classrooms now we got to figure out what to do and we'll do two services but we didn't really ever have a vision to say we want to be a church with two services that has this real crowded experience that is uncomfortable for some but is also vibrant and exciting that's yeah. not a picture that we painted yeah it's more responding to what god has been doing yeah. this is a special time because we say where does it go from here because right. actually do, are we thinking about someday adding a third service well that would be far more disruptive to the are we ready to plant a church now well, no, that doesn't seem to fit with our philosophy of ministry maturing and the people God's bringing along. Even, you know, like the timeline of, of, of your being here as an intern and associate pastor role. Or I think our elders feel like we're in a comfortable, like comfortable, I mean, not too hurried mm-hmm. and not too forced yeah. understanding of steps toward the future. Yeah. Um, are they daunting? Yeah. Yeah. But I don't feel like I've fixated on them this week. Right. And I'm thankful for that. Yeah. I think that's a good, yeah, that's a good word. Yeah. So we come to the last words of David, and he has some really encouraging things to say about his confidence in God's sovereign care. Yeah. And that's yeah. probably the kinds of things I want us to always be focused on more than any other things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, let's jump in. Um, so again, Second Samuel 23, and uh, in this chapter, basically two very, uh, very clearly marked portions here. The first is the last words of David, and then a section describing the, the mighty men, David's warriors. And so it, it starts, and uh, let me just read the first couple of lines because it's not that much. This, these are the last words of David, and here it is. The, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. These are going to be his last words. Um this chapter is deep and super encouraging, yeah. right? It's got um, incredible confidence that David's about to speak, but I kept laughing as I read it um, moments ago because there's just one-liners in here or descriptions that we'll see of the, of the mighty men in a second. Yeah. But like this line here, um, he calls himself the sweet psalmist of Israel. Yeah. Um, my Bible says that it could also be translated the favorite of the songs of Israel. Um, There's a difference, but I find it more fun to think of himself as saying, I'm a pretty good psalm writer. (laughs) And I'm like, I mean, who's going to argue with that, you know? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) These are the last words of yours truly. (laughs) 
you know, uh, I mean, and, and even, I mean, the, there are some descriptions, just to pull out some of the others. Uh, the man who was raised on high. Yeah. The anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. Uh, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light. And it, I, mean, I don't think he's just speaking theoretically. Like no. He's actually talking about the rule that God has been exercising through him. He was supposed to study the law of God. He was supposed to representatively yeah. speak it to the people. So a lot of what he's also saying is this was my job description. Yeah. God equipped me for this. He anointed me. And when I fulfilled the role God set before me, I mean, I love the description. It's like the sun shining on a cloudless morning, which, yeah. by the way, we had this morning in East yeah. Tennessee. Yeah. Right? I mean, you just talk about the Lord dawns on them like on like the morning light. Yeah. Um, He's basically saying, I got to serve in a role where God was going to shine his light onto his people in the, the morning renewal. Yeah. That, that was my role, was to be the agent of that. And yeah. That's amazing. I actually think that this makes me want to fast forward all the way to the new heavens and the new earth and the thought of just the glory of God shining like the sun. There's no need for the sun. Yeah. And he even says the rain is going to, you know, make grass sprout. Well, right. you know, the end, in Revelation where we just read like the, the river's going to flow from the throne of God and, you know, it's going to be for the healing of the nations and there's going to be growth everywhere. It's just going to be a beautiful yeah. time of health and, um, and worthy of the worship of God. And that's what he's doing right yeah. now. So, yeah. Let me ask you a question. Um, I don't think David's wrong in these descriptions, but just, just for thinking together, how can how can a man say these words not out of pride? And I, I, I ask that because I think a lot of times, I've, I've seen it a lot, where any kind of self-referential verbiage can be seen as pride, but I mean, I don't think David's being prideful here. So I what, think he, know? I think he gives it to us in verse 5. I think that the, I would look at that as the answer because I was going to say quickly because David knows God has given him an eternal covenant that's going to last beyond himself. Yeah. yeah. So he's saying more things here about God, uh-huh. though he's saying it through the office God appointed yeah. him for. Right. But let me read verse 5. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant order, ordered in all things and secure. For will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire. Yeah. So it said, I think what he's saying is, I am, I'm boasting, which the Apostle Paul uses the word yeah, boasting yeah. over and over, because God has put his favor on me and given me a position and a calling that I didn't choose because he covenanted with me, a covenant that's going to last beyond me into eternity, then I can sound very confident, almost boastful like, mm-hmm. because anything that I have accomplished, he is actually the one that has enabled that to occur. Yeah. He is more yeah. faithful than I am. And so, you know, he even says, God has ordered in all things, and, and the yeah. security that security. I feel is be, because He's given it. Yeah. So that'd be my thought: is He's actually that's helpful. Sounds yeah. like He's talking about Himself, but He's talking about what God has done to position Him in the role there. Him. Yeah, that's good. And it just—I mean—it just strikes me because, uh, like, He's not self-deprecating at all. Um, he, I think, boasts uh, that, that seems a fitting word, and He's boasting about Himself, but He's boasting about the Lord in that, and. Um, yeah, but he's been, I mean, he, David has been such a blessing to God's people. And they've, they've had the nourishment of God, the, the sun shining, the rain falling. And he, he has brought blessing to God's people yeah. in some powerful ways. 
and he's not downplaying that. He's I mean, God has been using him and working through him. The Spirit of the Lord has been speaking through him. He's been ruling with his law through him um, during that time. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it last week, but his song before this, I mean, verse 51, the way it closes, he says, great salvation the Lord yeah, brings to yeah. his king. So yeah. now we know that's salvation from his enemies. We understand that. But earlier on in verse 20, uh, where is it? I'm looking at verse 26. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. I uh-huh. mean, so... David's a recipient of the merciful salvation of God. Yeah. It may not be as reflected in these words here at the beginning of 23. Yeah. Because he's not leaning into the mercy. He's declaring God's faithfulness to yeah. have done something glorious. Um, but there is something to be said for the, the set-apart nature of the people of God are supposed to be yeah. like the light shining yeah. into dark places. Yeah. So I think he's also looking back and saying, the Lord has done this. Yeah. I would hope that for you, me, any believer that I know if we're blessed to live and have cognizance on our deathbed late in life to say God has been so faithful look what he did look what he's done in my children's life right? yeah. but to speak with that confidence is not necessarily to discount some of the darkest of days mm-hmm. which David right. has had many right yeah but in the time laying on one's deathbed in one's last days looking back at the faithfulness of God I think there should be a, a yeah. sense in which we say look what he enabled me to be a part of yeah yeah, so. yeah, and his words—they um, remind me of, of Paul. Of I finished the race, I fought the good fight. And there's a I don't know if accomplishment's the right word, but like, you know, I've done this, but God has carried me through it. He's He's been the wind in my sails. He's He's done all this, but there is a sense of like, my life has been spent, yeah, in a way of service to God, right? You know. And in redemptive history, we have to also remember that David is the first fulfillment of God's promise of a king. king but God yeah. was clearly speaking of a king to come after David, which yeah. it's not Solomon. And we yeah. go on through the line. But as I think of verse 2 to 4, <laughs> yeah. it sounds like Jesus. Absolutely. right. I mean, it just sounds like who could actually be the one through whom the Lord spoke. Mm-hmm. You know, as if it's the Lord's words, God himself is speaking through his tongue. Yep. Well, Jesus is the one called the Word. Yep. Um, and then he goes on to say, when one rules justly in the fear of the Lord, that's when the morning light just shows uh-huh. up in dark places. Well, didn't Jesus show up? And yeah. as we've been seeing in the Gospel of Matthew, like in the dark, darkest of places, Christ's kingdom has now come and yeah. shown the light yeah. of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, as yeah. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4. So yeah. um, I think this also sounds like David is saying, this was my role, but he's also speaking past himself yeah. yeah we can we can see and sense yeah well you know if, if the spirit of the lord speaks by him the spirit of the lord is speaking by him prophetically yeah about absolutely. jesus you yep. know that's that's good so there's transition in yeah. verse eight so we have that's the last of the poetry in the book really verses one through seven if you were looking at your bible you'd see that it's 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 poetic in it's in its stanzas and the lines etc but then verse eight it's toward the end of the book. We're going to have some summary descriptions here. And so the rest of the chapter from 8 all the way through 39, you have David's mighty men being chronicled. Yeah. And much like I chuckled to myself when I read that David calls himself the sweet psalmist of Israel, um, some of these things just made me kind of laugh out loud because the stories that the Bible records of some of these valiant men, just to kind of give us a sense of what they accomplished, they're just, they're unique. 
It's they crazy. Stand out. Yeah, you I mean, this is, it, it, this is like the Jack Bauer and Chuck Norris type stories. <laughs> I mean, you're like, really? Like, it's, it's, it's totally. wild. Oh, recently we watched a Chuck Norris, by the way. Yeah. Um, was it Walker, well, Texas Ranger? Thank you. No, no, I said Chuck Norris. We watched an episode of Walker, Texas Ranger. <laughs> you you want to have fun? Picture my mostly older kids, probably 10 and up kids, are watching Walker, Texas Ranger like bad, horrendous graphics. Oh, man. Horrible filmography, at least in my opinion. But it's Chuck Norris. That's, it's fun. I mean, where else can you see somebody take down 10 guys with machine guns yes, holding this pistols? Is, so. This is awesome. So, yeah. So, these are these are David's mighty men. And, you know, David's been a warrior right throughout his, his kingly life. And he's had a, a band of men who have fought there with him. It's not just been a one-man show. And so, at the beginning of this, we, we read about... Um, the names of, of his mighty men, the the, chief, the three chief mighty men. And so at the beginning, we got Joshabashabeth, who killed 800 men with a spear. Verses 9 to 10, uh, we've got Eliezer, and he struck down the, the Philistines, uh, tells about that. Verse 11 was Shammah, and, uh, and he struck down some Philistines as well. And then we, you know, it goes on from there. Um, but it does but what I love is starting in verse 13 so you got the three chief of the 30 are mentioned and then starting in verse 13 we have a description of how what what is something that the three of them did together if I Uh read it if I read it right so and three of the 30 chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim All right, so this is referencing back to 1 Samuel chapter 22 when David was in the cave running from Saul. In 1 Samuel 22, he had just all the way gone over and acted like a crazy man in Gath. So basically, this is the dark time, not the recently dark time, right? When David was having to deal with his son, Absalom's yeah. rebellion. This is back to when David's not even anointed yet, right? And this band of mighty men was beginning to follow with him. But this makes me laugh. Basically... David's in the, he's near the gate of the garrison of the Philistines, and David says longingly, verse 15, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. So, story recorder for us in this chapter is, the king is thirsty. Yeah. Super duper duper thirsty. Then these three mighty men, basically I won't read the whole thing, but they break into the camp of the Philistines. They get water from the well by the gate. They carry, they bring it back to David, and then we read, but he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord, and he said, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These are the kinds of things the three mighty men did. I couldn't stop laughing, because think about it. Would you, I mean... They risk their life to go a, draw water, and then they bring him water, and right. he dumps it and out and says, I can't believe I asked you to do that. That's that was such crazy. a cultural disconnect for us here, right? Yeah, so... Because David's doing a, a good thing. He's doing an honorable thing, but I'm like, really? Like, I just ran over there and risked my life. You're not even going to drink the water? You know? Like, there's yeah. this practical mindset. It is so I funny. I don't think... But it says here. he poured out to the Lord, so in some ways, it's, it's, it's noble. And he I mean, pours out as a drink offering, yeah, you know? Yeah. The only thing I can compare this to, and this is... I've got a couple of kids that are shy, like get anxious to like have to do something in front of a crowd, right? So I guess it'd be like me at some public event being like, oh man, I left my water bottle back at the bathroom. It's full of water. Can you go get it for me? And I asked two of the kids to go together so they're not alone. And they're like, do we have to, daddy? Like, 
there's so many people and there's a crowd. I don't want people to notice me. I, no, just go ahead and do it. And I feel guilty while they're doing it because it was embarrassing yeah. and it was awkward. And so I pour it out to the Lord when they get back, right in front of their faces. You know? I yeah. mean... They're, they wouldn't be happy. They would not be happy. So I don't know what the mighty men did, but I think it's hilarious and also just insightful that David is always about the Lord's yeah. glory. So it is a drink offering. Yeah. But he's also... There's, some, there's, a, there's a purity of motivation that yeah. at times throughout his life we've seen it show up. And he's like, yeah. far be it from me to have done this. Right. Yeah, and I, I think these men would be honored for that in this setting. I mean, I, I think that that's the that's the disconnect the you're talking disconnect. about, which is why my story and I just he, told is pointless. Well, I, I think it, it, it displays the the difference. <laughs> the difference. You know, that's what I was going um, for. <laughs> but even I mean, shall I drink the blood of these men? I mean, he's yeah. You know, I mean, he sees if he drinks this as as if he's drinking their blood in some way. In some my way. selfishness caused. My, yeah. my, my selfishness puts your life at yeah. risk. Yeah. yeah. So even though I, I'm like, I don't fully understand it because it's there's just this disconnect. But I'm like, he it, he honors them. He honors the Lord. And then the men are esteemed. I mean, that, like this is a story, you know, here at the end of David's life, the, you know, the author is picking out, well, here's a handful of stories I want to tell. And like, <laughs> this is one of the stories that these mighty men are renowned for. For ages to come. What, do you know what yeah. I think of? I think of these old men sitting around and they're just chilling like, Hey guys, remember the time? Remember the time when you three went over there? And he you wouldn't got, even drink it. Yeah, and you tried to walk really fast without the water spilling out of the ladle. Yeah, and you got all the way back and then he yeah. dumped it out. Yeah. Like, oh gosh. Yeah. I'm not trying to be sacrilegious and disrespectful of the scriptures, but sometimes you read something and the disconnect is so strong yeah. that maybe I don't know what nobility looks like. Maybe yeah. I don't know what the servant-hearted nature of these valiant men actually is when yeah. I think of everything has to make sense to me. You know? <laughs> right. What a scene. Yeah. Gosh. And so it's got yeah three more paragraphs after that and how it's broken up. But Abishai, the brother of Joab, is mentioned next. Uh, he wielded his spear against 300 men, killed them, and won a name beside the three. And so there's kind of the, the three mighty men. There's the 30, uh, or 30-ish, really, um, kind of broader mighty men. But there's a couple of those in that broader camp that are not quite part of the three, but are close. So there's almost like three tiers here. And that's Abishai. The next one, verse 20, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man. Uh, he did great deeds. He struck down two aerials. The footnote says uh, the meaning of that word. We don't quite know, but he two, two aerials of Moab. He also went down and struck a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen, which is just a peculiar level of detail uh, there. He struck down a handsome Egyptian. And this one I, I found fascinating. It says the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaiah went down to him with a staff, snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. So he brought a staff to a spear fight, but still came out on top. And then the, the final portion here, verse 24, Asahel, the brother of Joab, was one of the 30. And then it, it lists out these men. Uh, at the very end, there's 37 in all. So you know, this is just cataloging kind of the end of David's reign, his life. Here's the mighty man. Here's some of the stories that these men ought to be known for and honored for, for their bravery, as well as just competence, Yeah, you know, as warriors. Well, if I speak to one of these stories, and, I'm, and I look something up here on my phone, I want to be cautious what I say, because I'm going to reference a book that I haven't read. But I remember years ago, I might have been in, eh, I wasn't in seminary. It was after that point. I don't know when this book was published. But I know there's a book that is is about 
in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. Uh-huh. You heard of this book? Yeah, yeah. So, and the subtitle is How to Survive and Thrive When Opportunity Roars. And I had Christian friends and family suggested I read it once. And, and I remember, I, I don't think I read it. I might have read the beginning of it or I read the description. But one of the things that we're doing our contextualized podcast, I can't say anything whether that book is valid or not. Yeah. I can say I probably wouldn't write a book about well, the subtitle tells you something about where it's going. Yeah, it's yeah, right. and, but 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 this is I think this is what we know of Benaiah right here. Yeah, and so I mean there may be references of his name in other places, but these these are the stories we have associated with him as a mighty warrior. We we talk sometimes about moralism, right? We talk about different ways to interpret the Bible. Where we yeah. say, well, there's an example to follow. Yeah, right, and we can learn something from the courage. And I'm sure that in that in that work, there's a lot of evidences that hey, this this man Benaiah followed David the king, right? Of course, we should be following Jesus our king. Um, but there is something to be said as we come to the part of the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus is now going to choose his twelve disciples. Mm-hmm. There's something to be said for David chose 30, 30 mighty. Yeah, yeah. And when I look at these different things, I have to keep in mind that every time I see someone do something courageous and bold, I don't know that my first past needs to be I need to be faithful like that person's faithful mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think I need to look at and say what what are the contextual things we need to know um, David was the king yeah these men were given a position a calling and a role mm-hmm. to serve the king uniquely yeah I can think of you me our family members our children other people in this church we've all been given different roles to follow the king King mm-hmm. Jesus uniquely yeah with different gifts different strengths yeah and so we're going to find examples all through the Bible where we may say, well, now that's a good example. I want to follow that. I want to learn from that. Yeah. The challenge is, is we don't want to turn these examples into the main takeaway. Because mm-hmm. I don't think Benaiah is the main takeaway of Second Samuel 23. Yeah. The main takeaway is that this whole section of the mighty man comes after David says, I was the Lord's anointed. Yeah. The Lord's anointed gave me not just my own strength to fulfill the calling he gave me to be like the shining light in the morning as the sun rises on the people of God, but he gave me 30 men. Mm-hmm. He gave me valiant warriors that were courageous. They'd do anything. Yeah. But they were ultimately not just following me, the king. They were following God who'd set me up as king. Right. And so there's just many times that when we go straight to a quick application, yeah. we might unintentionally dismiss the value of the contextual yeah. application, yeah. which is... Benaiah is one of many raised up to follow the Lord's king who is following the Lord as king. Yeah. So I... I, I, Yeah, I'll just add to that because I think you're right is um, anytime we're reading scripture, there's a certain level of disconnect between us and either who the book's written to originally or who's in the story. And depending on where you're at in the Bible, there, there may be larger disconnect, kind of cultural, historical, redemptive considerations to that. And so um, sometimes I think we, we just we, we flatten that and act like what we're reading in our lives like are, are basically the same thing. And so to take this example, um, one, I've never been in a pit with a lion on a snowy day or a <laughs> sunny day for that matter. Um, but in and, and I've not read the book either, but just taking it at its title, <laughs> judging a book by its cover, uh, but its title and subtitle, which was chosen I assume to point about what the book's about. They take that and translate it to opportunity. And I forget what the other word is, but you know, they, they translate it into something and that's where the application comes. Right. And so um, I, I think that's just another way or another aspect of how we can 
too quickly dismiss the context. Um, but would you say, let me ask you this, would you say, though, that we should look for applications of how our lives can be influenced and encouraged by stories of faithful servants in the Bible? We, we should do that. Okay. Yes. So we're not saying that. Just right. Just sure you're not saying yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and even, I mean, First Corinthians 10 or 11, right? He says these things were written down for us as an example. I mean, you know, like we, <laughs> we actually have biblical uh, explicit precedent on that. Um, but I, I've heard it said, and I think many people have said it, that especially with narrative, but true of other places, um, a lot of times it's descriptive rather than prescriptive. Descriptive rather than prescriptive. So, so this is descriptive. This we, is in the Bible because it happened, right. not initially because it's telling us that it... Right. And so we, we do need to ask the question, why is this here? Why did God's Spirit sovereignly ordain for the author of Second Samuel to include this bit about these mighty men? Is it so that I can translate into my life about opportunities that I will face? I don't... Not in that, that general way, at least, but... I think thinking of where, what you did, I think, was is great because, you see, in the context, these are men, they're valiant. I mean, that, that word's mentioned all over this. They're brave and they're competent. I mean, they, they are warriors in the service of the king. Yeah. And, and when we have that context, if this is bold, courageous, fighting service of the king, then all of a sudden I, I can relate to that. I can think about how that applies to my life. I can go to Ephesians 6 of staying firm in the strength of the Lord with all this spiritual armor. Like, these men can help me do that. Correct. But that's that's adding a lot um, of helpful context, I think. Yeah, so what we just did, and I didn't realize we were going to go down this path as well. Me far, either. But I also, you know, and my apologies to an author whose book I've read, but taking a title, these things stand out to me because I would say we can very unintentionally read the scriptures and we jump to what can I learn from this Quickly, yeah, yeah. Is yeah. there something I can learn from this? Absolutely. Yeah. But what we're doing on our podcast is we're trying to say that to read the Bible contextually, yeah, then we need to understand what the context is is in the literary context of the story, yeah. but also how does it show me the big meta narrative, the, the the redemptive context of yeah. how does this point to Christ? And I read as a Christian who understands that the whole Bible was about him. Yeah. He's the king that's greater than David. He has servants whom he appointed as disciples, apostles at first, but also those whom they appointed. And like, mm-hmm. you know, we are in a line of those who serve the king. Yeah. So I can yeah. learn from this, but I don't go there quickly. And see, I think of like Daniel. Yeah. Daniel was in a pit. Yeah. But there's so many things we don't know yeah. about what did God miraculously do to right. preserve these mighty men at times right. against all odds. Yeah. Right? We just know this happened. Yeah. It's descriptive. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a real important takeaway. Yeah. Uh, but for whatever reason, it does need to be valued that Benaiah gets three big, large verses. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. starting in verse 24. Four to, verses, to, yeah. Yeah, four verses. from, But then from verse 24 all the way through 39, a bunch of the other valiant warriors, just they just get a name mentioned. Yeah. Right? So there's a reason. We just have to try not to jump too quickly to yeah. Yeah, he has a little bit more right now. He does than, than the others, yeah. and so um, and I'll uh, maybe just a final thought. I think um, a way that that question or this thought could be posed is: is should we try to find ourselves in the story? And I think what we're pointing at is sometimes we do that too quickly and not really rightly. Yeah, you know? like just trying to insert myself or find this quick connection. And sometimes that'll happen and, and be totally valid. To be fair, but. 
I think what we're saying is um, we want to do the contextual work. We want to understand the word and why the Spirit has given us this word. And when we understand that, when we understand how this relates to Jesus, when we understand what this has to say about redemption and about God and about humanity and about God's people, then we're in a much better place to find ourselves in the story. And so, like, we do, you know, if, if we don't apply the scriptures, we might as well not be reading That's exactly right. Um, so we want to find ourselves in the story, but that's, I think, the, the end yep. rather than the beginning of the process. And for time's sake, we're going to close up, but let me mention one the last name of the yeah, chapter. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and here's why this whole conversation, I think, ended up being very important. There is the name that closes the whole chapter, and nothing else is said about him. His name is Uriah the Hittite. Yeah. So, Uriah the Hittite is one of David's mighty men. And unlike Benaiah, he wasn't preserved through the attack of an enemy. Mm-hmm. He died due to yeah. the sin of David. Yeah. Because he was not just a mighty man who would fight for David no matter where he put, but he also he also ended up showing his valiant morality and holiness and humility when he wouldn't remember he slept outside yeah. of his house. Yeah. So it's this man, man is honorable. Yeah. He's we don't have any stories about him, but guess what? The Lord also didn't preserve him through yeah. his trial. Yeah. He suffered death due to the sin of David. Right. Right. Yet God is faithful to Uriah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In whatever way yeah. God is faithful to Uriah. So I think I just want to encourage our read, readers, our listeners, <laughs> when you're reading, it's important to me that the whole chapter ends with the name Uriah the Hittite. Yeah. Who's the one who was most wronged of uh-huh. all the mighty men uh-huh. by King David? God chose not to preserve him yeah. the way that Benaiah was preserved through fighting a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Yeah. But the nobility and beauty of what we see Uriah do yeah. is equally powerful. It just happened earlier in the book. So yeah. anyway, that's, we'll close up with that. That's, um, that's great. And I'll just add one quick additional aspect on that because you're thinking about it from Uriah's side. Correct. Um, when I read it, I thought first from David's side. And this chapter has so much, it's, it's glowing about David and his reign and his rule. It, it should oh, be. Yeah. But to all of a sudden come to this point because we don't, we're not told in the Bathsheba story with Uriah that he's one of the mighty men. And we get a sense he's a commander he's, of the army. He's I mean, good he's, man. Yeah. But to read here at the end, like he's one of the 37 closest and most proficient warriors who's been by David's side. Like it, it makes the sin and the betrayal of David towards Uriah all the more grave. And, um, and I, I mean, I, we don't want to insert that into this chapter because this chapter is is having a different story but I think that's helpful as we go back and read the story about Uriah's death to realize I mean he's he's not just some commander out there he's one of David's mighty men one of the closest most proficient warriors he has but I think it does inform the whole chapter then because as you mentioned earlier how can David write this if yeah. I have pride yeah because he's saying it's the spirit of the Lord that chose me because there's things in his own life even the way this chapter ends that evidence there's got to be another. There's got to be a king greater than David. Yeah. Yep. Well, think on that king. Fun Follow podcast today. This is a cool text. With valor today. Cool text. Lord bless and keep you this week.